For too long, our government, our courts, haven't looked like America. And I believe it's time that we have a court that reflects the full talents and greatness of our nation with a nominee of extraordinary qualifications. So today, I'm pleased to nominate Judge Jackson, who will bring extraordinary qualifications, deep experience and intellect, and a rigorous judicial record to the court. Thank you very much, Mr. President. I am truly humbled by the extraordinary honor of this nomination. And if I'm fortunate enough to be confirmed as the next Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, I can only hope that my life and career, my love of this country and the Constitution, and my commitment to upholding the rule of law and the sacred principles upon which this great nation was founded will inspire future generations of Americans. That was the scene at the White House on Friday as President Biden introduced his choice for the Supreme Court and the nominee, DC Court of Appeals Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, introduced herself to the country. It was a historic pick on multiple grounds. Jackson is the first African-American woman ever nominated for the court. If confirmed, she will also be the first Supreme Court justice who worked as a public defender, bringing a new sensibility to how the criminal justice system impacts the world of real-life defendants. But there is much more to her life story. A stellar student in high school who graduated from Harvard and Harvard Law School with a family that includes a brother who is a Baltimore City cop and an uncle who was Miami police chief and yet another uncle who was wrapped up in the drug trade. We'll talk to one of our oldest friends from high school, appellate lawyer Richard Rosenthal, about what we should know about Katanji Brown Jackson and what her confirmation will bring to the Supreme Court on this episode of Skullduggery. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isagov, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And I'm Victoria Bassetti, a fellow at the Brennan Center for Justice. So we don't get everything right on this podcast. For example, I have said a couple of times I didn't think Vladimir Putin was going to full on invade Ukraine. Wrong, as we all know. But we did say, or at least I said on multiple occasions, that the person to watch for the next Supreme Court pick was Katanji Brown Jackson. And I have, in this matter, been proven completely right. Um, and it's not really that much of a surprise. I think that she was always on a short list. She has this stellar re resume, a life story that is compelling. And I think she solidified her position in the um, Democratic Party hierarchy when she wrote the opinion that uh, Don McGahn, Trump's chief counsel, had to testify before Congress. I just I don't know. You think it, I don't know if it's that transactional. Not only it's transactional, but I think that elevated her. 
I think even, even if she hadn't written that, written that opinion, she would have been the leading candidate for this job. You know, because of the stellar record that you talked about, because she doesn't have any really controversial opinions. I mean, she's only been a, an appeals court judge, or at least that we know of. She's only been an appeals court judge for about a year. So I think she is a relatively safe choice in that sense. And also, there's something which we saw at the announcement today in her approach or her demeanor, the way she the way she talks that I think projects moderation and a kind of um, optimism about America that, you know, I think is going to be appealing uh, to a lot of people. And I thought she talked in, in, in moving ways about her family and in kind of relatable ways. You know, one of the things we're going to hear a lot about, and I know, Mike, we're going to talk about this with with our guest, is that in her family... She has both members of law enforcement, but also one uncle who had contact with the criminal justice system, um, more than contact with the criminal justice system. He was sentenced to life in prison for possession of uh, large amounts of, of drugs with the intent to distribute them. And was pardoned by President Obama, by And the way. was pardoned. But if you think about it, you know, there are an awful lot of Americans out there you know, who either have members of their families or friends who are in law enforcement or who have had um, run-ins with the law, and maybe not that many who've had both, but I think that's the kind of personal detail that a lot of average Americans can relate to, and I think that's important in these kinds of rollouts. So, you know, as distinct and amazing as her as her background is and as her story is, there's in at least one regard where she is a standard issue Supreme Court nominee, and that is the Ivy League education. She has got a kind of a gold-plated Harvard, Harvard, Ivy League education, which further kind of solidifies the Supreme Court as a, a bastion of that elite educational system, which more than a few people were unhappy about. They really sort of hoped that Biden would have picked several other potential candidates who had public university educations. Well, that, that, that was Clyburn's main point, though, yeah. wasn't it? Right yeah. When Jim Clyburn was pushing Judge Childs, a district court judge in South Carolina, he said, we need somebody who didn't go to one of these gold-plated Ivy League schools. Yeah. And look, that's not going to have any sort of impact whatsoever on her ultimate path through the Senate. Uh, it's it's virtually inevitable that she'll get every Democratic vote, although I will add that so far Joe Manchin has declined to say whether or not he'll vote for her. He did obviously vote for her to be confirmed to be on the D.C. Circuit. But, you know, all of a sudden the kind of Manchin speculation <laughs> machine is going into is going into full overdrive at this yeah, stage Manu Rajuj chasing him around I, I, all the time on the Capitol. <laughs> so he needs to keep that going right? exactly. by but creating I, a little suspense. That being yeah. said, I think virtually everyone suspects that she's going to pick up every Democratic vote. Certainly. How many, how many Republicans uh, do you think she gets? Well, that is clearly the big question. And I'm not in the prediction game. But if I were in the prediction game, I would say she's not going to get any. Oh, really? Really? I thought she would get oh. uh, Lisa Murkowski and, and Collins. I'll bet she gets more than that. I, I, I'm going to Well, it doesn't sound like she's going to get Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, who, not gonna did, get Lindsey Graham who, who, who but, did but, vote for her before before for her nomination to the to the D.C. Circuit. But, you know, there are others who possibly could. I don't know, a Mitt Romney, maybe. 
Yeah, I think Romney. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if, um, you know, Thune rounds some of the others, um, Cornyn, because it's, as I've said before, it's a gimme. I mean, it's not going it? to change not, the ideological complexion of the Supreme Court. If you're not running for president, I think it's fairly easy for, you know, Republicans who are not, you know, totally in the Ted Cruz camp to vote for her. What's, I don't know. What's the I, think they're, I think they're running for you know, Republican control of the Senate and Republican control of the House and everything is nationalized now. And I think that, you know, kind of being able to gin up that sort of, you know, that anger and the disappointment and and kind of contentiousness about a Supreme Court nominee is just kind of bread and butter now for every political race. But we'll see. We'll see. She certainly, look, if there's any nominee who actually has the ability to garner more votes, it's certainly her, given her personality, which is pretty strong, her kind of record, which doesn't include any highly controversial decisions, and her relationship with the former Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, a Republican who she's related to by marriage. Who said nice things about her today. All right. Having touted my prognostications on this score, I'm going to go out on a limb and say she's going to get eight to 10 uh, Republican senators. Oh, I'll take that bet. You'll take that bet. You're going to owe me dinner, man. I'll say. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to say eight to ten. I'll say um, four. I'm uh, not. Uh, I'm not betting. Um, all right. Just one <laughs> last point I want to make. I mean, I assumed it was going to be her all along, as I've said on the podcast. I was a little surprised at the boomlet for Judge Childs after Clyburn weighed in and was clearly pushing hard for her. But and I think that posed a potential threat to her being nominated. But I think you know the more I thought about it is. You know, Clyburn got a lot of attention for pushing Biden to make that announcement in the South Carolina debate that his first pick was going to be as an African-American woman. I think if he if he then just took Clyburn's handpicked choice, it would be a little it would elevate Clyburn to being the sort of, you know, ghost president who's pulling the strings behind the scenes. And I think that was not a look or an image that the White House wanted at this point. So I think that um, made it much easier for them to go with the person they were probably, you know, planning on picking all along, which is Judge Jackson. That's all speculation on my part. But, um, you know, skullduggery listeners can take it for what it's worth. I did want to point out just quickly, uh, I didn't realize this until I was reading, I think, the profile of her on SCOTUS blog today uh, and looking at some of the cases she handled as a district court judge. And Isakoff, you'll be interested in this since this is something we've talked about a lot on this podcast. And you actually did a separate conspiracy land series uh, related to this that she presided over. The Pizzagate case and, uh, you know, this uh, conspiracy theory about prominent Democrats uh, harboring child sex slaves at the what was it called? In the, the basement the Comet, of, in the basement of, the of Comet, Comet Pizza Ping Pong down the street pizzeria. from my house. Yes. And this uh, this guy from North Carolina who, you know, comes up with an AR-15 assault weapon thinking that he was going to liberate these these uh, child sex slaves. She ended up sentenced. He was convicted, and she sentenced him to, uh, I think, four years in prison. So 
we'll have to delve into the, right. the Pizzagate connection. Yes. Uh, one last thing we should say. The elephant in the room, of course, is that there's a war going on in Europe, which we have not discussed at all. But we are going to be talking about Ukra- the Ukraine-Russia crisis on our podcast coming out on Saturday. So uh, the Supreme Court was big news today, but we'll have an episode on that. Okay. And on that note, we've got a great guest who has known Katanji Brown Jackson since middle school and stayed in close touch with her over the many, many years. So let's get to it. Okay, we are now joined by Richard Rosenthal, a uh, esteemed appellate lawyer and a longtime friend of the new Supreme Court nominee, uh, Judge Jackson. Richard, welcome to Skullduggery. Thank you so much. And you left out a big Skullduggery fan as well. <laughs> uh, yes, a big Skullduggery fan, which is why you you get to be on this uh, podcast. <laughs> It's the, it's the ticket of entry. You and I have been talking about Judge Jackson for quite some time. You introduced me to her a year or so ago. And, you know, she was, um, as we have talked on this podcast, the leading contender to be the next Biden Supreme Court pick. You've known her for many, many years. Tell us what we should know about uh, Judge Jackson. Well, I, I think what you need to know about her is probably what you saw from her today. If you guys watched and, and ladies watched the event today in the White House, you saw exactly who Katanji Brown Jackson is. She was Katanji Brown when I knew her, of course. We met when I was 12 years old and she was 14 at our middle school uh, in Miami, Florida, and I've known her ever since. So you've known her since middle school. Um, tell us what stands out from your middle and high school memories of Judge Jackson. Well, Mike, I've, I've never met anyone like her. And, uh, you know, she's extraordinarily brilliant, but I've been blessed and privileged to meet a lot of brilliant people as I've gone through these last uh, intervening, what, 35 years or more than that. But what stood out was that she was extraordinary in every way, and everyone knew it. We all knew that she was destined for greatness. And I've never met anyone else in my life that I can say that about. Um, And it's just truthful. She had an incredibly magnetic personality and charisma and charm and poise and grace. And for that to be combined with her incredible brilliance, uh, which shone through, is just rare. I mean, we've all probably been lucky, lucky enough to meet brilliant people, and we've been lucky enough to meet really kind people and thoughtful people and interesting people and friendly people. But when it all comes together in one person, you're just struck by how special that person is. And I knew immediately that she was a special human being who was going to do something amazing. Did you have a, a sense when you knew her in middle school? You say destined for greatness. What did she want to do? Did you, did you guys ever talk about what kind of greatness she wanted to achieve? Because I think I've read uh, that uh, in, in high school, she was on the debate team. And and I think even as a small child sitting uh, next to her father in the kitchen while he read his law books was when she said she got interested in the law. I think she said that today at the announcement. Uh, did you talk about what she wanted to do uh, when she grew up? 
You know, it's funny. We didn't. And I knew her, her parents, her parents and my parents were, were friendly. We all lived in the same neighborhood, more or less. Uh, we went to not only junior high together, but also high school. And so I knew her all the way along. And she was the same year as my older brother, Stephen. Um, and so our lives have intersected for many, many years. And Katanji and I were on the debate team together. And I knew she was extraordinary at it. I mean, she literally won the national championship in her category, but we didn't talk about what her aspirations were. I, I've read probably like you guys have that she intended to be a lawyer or wanted to be a judge. I had no idea from, from my perspective, she could have been the next uh, Sally ride. She could have been the next Oprah Winfrey. I didn't know what she was going to go into, but I just knew she was going to excel. What kind of a debater was she? Because that seems relevant uh, to the, the line of work she finally went into. So she did a number of different events, all of which she was <laughs> exceptional at. But her, her main event was called Original Oratory. She was required to write her own speech from scratch. And I forget how long the speech was supposed to be. Let's say maybe 15 minutes or so. And then memorize it you know, from beginning to end. And then present the speech. And she was absolutely flawless. So it had a huge writing component. It had a research component. I, I don't really remember what her topic was. Somebody might jog my memory and it'll come back to me. But she wrote the speech. She delivered the speech. And so it had a a presentation aspect, a writing aspect, um, and obviously a substantive aspect. There was a, an argument and she was the national champion. She wasn't just that, but within our debate team, which was kind of a, a little nerdy subculture within our, our public high school, she was also a de facto coach. She was coaching the younger students on how to do it, you know, emphasizing the need for preparation and poise and every little element you can imagine. So she was a she was a leader from day one. We just all knew it. So high, high school debater here, too. So uh, just want to <laughs> make my confession. Uh, I want to pull back the curtain a little bit on the process of uh, nominating Supreme Court justices. The nomination happened today. It's not a simple process. The, one of the things that the White House does is uh, pull together surrogates, get a bunch of people out there ready to talk about how great the nominees were. Have you been involved in that process? Were you kind of cultivated and teed up to be a big supporter for Katanji? And, have, and can you tell us more about how the rollout was uh, scheduled to occur. Why, Victoria? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we so, are called skullduggery. <laughs> I'd like to know a little bit about the skullduggery behind the nomination. That, that sounds like a question from a former debater from high school. <laughs> and by the way, a former, a former staffer on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Oh, <laughs> all right. So I'm doubly in trouble. So <laughs> the short answer is yes as to both, which is I originally, I, I've been a huge supporter of, of Judge Jackson's forever because of the reasons that I described to you, which is that I knew she was special. And this is going to be a little bit longer answer, but a bit of backstory for you all. My brother, Stephen, is the same year in Katanji. I'm two years younger. My brother, Stephen, and Katanji had their entire lives intertwined in a very remarkable way. They both went to junior high together. Katanji was the senior class president or mayor, whatever it was called. My brother was the vice 
president or mayor. They went to high school. Katanji was the president of the senior class. My brother was vice president. They were both accepted to Harvard College on the very same day, a uh, day I remember very distinctly. They went to college together. They both took a year off. Uh, Katanji during that year was actually a journalist at Time Magazine, as you guys may have read. Then they both went to Harvard Law School together, the same class. They were actually, I think, moot court partners, or they prepared one another. They then both clerked uh, for federal district judges in the federal courthouse in Boston together. They ended up briefly at the same law firm in Washington. I mean, their lives are very, very intertwined and our families are intertwined. So nobody needed to persuade me to support my dear friend. I was delighted and honored to do it. Now, did people reach out to me and say, would you speak on her behalf? Sure. And I said, I'd be thrilled. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yes, I, I, I'm, I'm a supporter of hers. Yeah, well, I think I think what I want to sort of like uh, give our audience the opportunity to kind of hear a little bit about is the fact that, you know, kind of Supreme Court nominees usually have an entire village of supporters behind them who are, you know, kind of pulling together letters of support, who are making phone calls to everyone they might know on the Hill, who and uh, who are calling reporters and talking about how great the nominees are. and. And so I, I think it's it's really interesting to learn a little bit more about this, you know, kind of mini judicial confirmation industrial complex that Katanji is in the middle of right now. Have you been, you know, like calling everyone that you know on the Hill? What are you hearing from people when you call them and say how great she is? Uh, are you hearing anything about possible opposition to her? What have you been warned is the argument to head off at the pass? Well, Victoria, my, my role has not been that at all. I, I don't think I've called anyone on the Hill, on Capitol Hill. I don't think I've called anyone, period. Uh, I, what my job has been is to respond. If reporters like such as yourselves contact, I guess, Judge Jackson or people around Judge Jackson, and they say, hey, would you speak to this reporter? Then I say, sure, I'll happy to answer their questions. So I haven't affirmatively gone out and um, I guess sort of politic the way you described Mm -hmm. But I'm happy to do it when people call me. And, I, you know, I'm not from Washington, D.C. I'm not learned in the ways of the Beltway. I'm, I'm from Florida. I'm from Miami. And so uh, I wish I could pull back the curtain for you. But I'm I don't know much more than you do and probably less. I'm just mm -hmm. responding to people telling them about my friend who I think is wonderful. Yeah. So what became of your slouch of a brother? <laughs> Well, well, thank you, Mike. I have two non-slouch brothers. <laughs> I mean, Katanji was president of the senior class. Your brother was vice president. I mean, he's clearly been in our shadow all these years. So I just <laughs> Mike, we've all been in Katanji's shadow for all these years. <laughs> all right. Um, you know, I'm really interested in her family background. She's got a brother who was a Baltimore City undercover cop, an uncle who was the Miami police chief. Both of which was cited, by the way, in the Fraternal Order of Police's uh, release today, uh, praising her. And then another uncle who was in the drug trade, and she tried to help out. So flesh out the, the fa those family connections. And obviously, the last one, the uncle in the drug trade and her attempts to help him, would be of, uh, uh, of most interest. Yeah, I, I don't think I met either of her uncles. It's possible, you know, at, at birthday parties or something like that as kids, they may have been there, but I certainly didn't know. I mean, most people don't know their childhood friends 
uncles. I certainly knew her brother very well and still do. Kataj, he's a wonderful guy and I've known him all the way along. And I, you know, I can relate some, some of the internal family stress that they had when Kataj first became a, a police officer in inner city Baltimore. And his job, as I understand it, was basically breaking up, uh, drug trafficking rings in inner city Baltimore, which is, you know, if, if any of you have seen the, the TV show, the wire, uh, I think, yes, I think Kataj was seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was, Kataj was, was the real deal and living that. And I remember talking to Kitanji and Kitanji's parents you know, just about the stress. I mean, they were, they were very, very big proponents of public service. And so they were honored and thrilled that Kataj was doing it, but they were scared as any parents would be. And then, you know, out of the, the frying pan into the fire, Kataj joined the army and got sent off to the Middle East and served in the Iraq war. Um, and so, you know, they were stressed. They were very concerned about him. They, they wanted him to come home safely, which thank God he did, but they were really thrilled and honored that he was serving the country. And the uncle who was a drug trafficker. I never knew anything about that. I was surprised when I heard it just like everyone else. Cause I never heard Kitanji talk about it. I never heard her brother talk about it. I never heard her parents talk about it. But then again, I didn't know that her, her uncle was the chief. The other uncle was the chief of police because they never talked about that either. It just wasn't an issue. Richard, I want to ask you about a chapter in her life that you know was clearly uh, formative, college. Uh, I know you weren't there with her at the time, but your brother Stephen was there. And I think it th there is some, just based on some of the profiles I was reading, um, some things that were sort of I think revealing about maybe how she uh, her, her her temperament and and how she might approach the law and that is that she was there at a time um, when a lot of the students were involved in politics uh, activism they were protesting the number of um, the small number of uh, black professors on the on the faculty and she was involved in those she clearly had the courage of her convictions but according to the stories that I read. She really um, re sort of rejected the more confrontational uh, brand of activism when some of the more radical students wanted to go out and, and, and be more radical. She, she said no, that she wanted to be able to persuade people uh, with her words and she didn't want to be distracted from what the goal was. I wonder if that's something that you saw in her earlier when you knew her, or if you, you uh, know that from uh, knowing her over the years? Because, you know, to me, it suggests a kind of, you know, more moderate temperament and also important when you're on the Supreme Court and a, a desire and, and perhaps ability to persuade people um, and, and build consensus. And she seems to have this kind of winning personality as well. So can you just sort of address those personality traits? Sure. I'm happy to. I actually didn't know about the, the campus issues that you were describing, Danny. I was during those years, I was at a better football school in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I didn't I wasn't aware of that. But when you tell me that and I've read that in other places, it doesn't surprise me because one of the things I personally saw in Katanji from a very young age is her ability and willingness to stand up for what's right, but to do it in a very graceful and non confrontational way. I, I, let me tell you a story. And maybe I think it kind of indicates the kind of way she handles situations like that. And this is a very little situation, but I was 15 years old. I was in 10th grade and Kitanji was in 12th grade. We had the same class together in high school. It was Latin American history, which is probably something that outside of Miami, Florida is not part of any high school curriculum, <laughs> but in Miami, it's almost essential. <laughs> and I witnessed, I was sitting next to Kitanji. 
And I personally witnessed an incident that has always stayed with me. I doubt she'll even remember it, but to me, it's burned in my memory. I saw a boy who, being a typical 15-year-old knucklehead, was reaching in front of him and snapping the shoulder strap of the brassiere of the girl in front of him, okay? And, you know, this was the 1980s. It's totally unacceptable these days. It should have been totally unacceptable in those days. After all, it's an assault. But back in the 80s, it was one of those things that most people would have said, oh, well, you know, boys will be boys, dumb high school boys snapping a girl's shoulder strap. Even at the time, Katanji said something about it. She saw it happen. She said to the boy, hey, keep your hands to yourself. That girl is here to learn, just like you're here to learn. Behave yourself. And the boy listened to her. And, you know, I look back at it now, many decades later, and I think what poise and courage it must have taken for Katanji, who is not the tallest biggest, most imposing physically person in the world to say that to a boy and to stand up for her female classmate and to tell him, Hey, that's wrong. But she didn't do it in an insulting way or like a pedantic way. She just said, you know, that's not why we're here. And what's most impressive to me is that the boy listened to her and respected her because, because she was Katanji and everyone knew she had a certain stature. And so that's the kind of person she is. So if she was doing that at Harvard college, I imagine she did it with the same integrity and courage and grace that she showed even at age 15, 16, 17. You know, to me, what's interesting about that story is she could have just said, hey, stop that. You shouldn't do that. But she made an argument. Yeah. yeah, You know what? I hadn't even thought about that. You're right. Even then, she was making a compelling argument. (laughs) Presenting the legal reasoning for not (laughs) strapping the the bra of a Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? It was also based in, in a lot of humanity, which is she didn't insult the kid or say you're being a jerk, which I'm sure she could have said. But she said, you know, you're here to learn. She's here to learn. That's not what we're here for. Come on, keep your hands to yourself. And the kid respected it. So let's talk a little more about, well, in her background, one aspect of her resume that's getting attention is she was a public defender. And then she was on the Sentencing Commission and pushed for reducing mandatory minimum sentences. So how does that factor into her judicial philosophy or what she's going to bring to the Supreme Court, that part of her background? Mike, I don't know about her judicial philosophy, but I know about her approach to things, which is if she feels strongly and passionately about something, she's going to say it. And I remember talking to her about that that situation when she was on the sentencing commission about the crack cocaine, powder cocaine disparity. And I assume your listeners know the basics of that, which is that, you know, crack cocaine was punished something like a hundred times more, more significantly than powder cocaine, which had a huge socioeconomic and racial implication for, for offenders in the United States, criminal offenders. And she felt strongly that that was wrong and she didn't pull her punches. She spoke out about it and she did so forcefully and courageously. And I suspect she'd do the same thing uh, on the Supreme Court. If she has an opinion, she's not going to hide it. She, you know, she's she's going to be. It's going to be grounded in reason and rational thought and legal principles. And she'll explain why she thinks what she thinks. But she'll tell you what she sh- what she thinks. She's she's no shrinking violet. My sense is she was always you know she was a district court judge and she was always on the you know 
relatively short list, but not that short list for higher nominations. But it was the uh, McGahn opinion, the opinion she wrote saying that Don McGahn, Donald Trump's White House counsel, had to testify before Congress that basically solidified her place as the leading contender for the next Supreme Court pick. Uh, do you concur that that's really what did it for her? I, I really have no idea. I mean, I know a lot of people talked about that case, of course, because it had a lot of uh, media coverage. I don't know. You'd have to ask people in the White House why they chose her. But, you know, I think it, you know, she didn't shrink from the task. You know, people forget that judges don't choose the cases that come to them, especially the, the trial judges. I guess the Supreme Court technically chooses which case come to them, but or most of them. But trial judges just get a random assignment on the wheel. And so I guess that case just happened to fall into her division. And so if that's what was required, that's what she did. So I, I don't think she seeks out the limelight. But if, if the task is there, she's going to do it to the best of her ability. So, uh, you know, maybe the White House was impressed by that. I don't know. You'd have to ask someone from the White House. So obviously one of the flashpoints, if you will, about her nomination, it, it, certainly in the lead up to it, has been the, the issue of uh, how overtly President Biden promised to nominate a black woman. There have been a lot of accusations regarding that that's a kind of an inappropriate prerequisite that he imposed upon his nomination, that it's, you know, insulting to other non-black women judges, et cetera. You know, having known her as long as you have, how do you think she has um, factored or uh, reacted to some of this debate that's been going on over those issues? You know, Victoria, I really don't know her view, but I'll tell you my view. Not that anybody cares about my view, but my view is it's insulting to suggest that Ketanji Brown Jackson wouldn't have been selected out of the entire population of the United States. Okay. I think I'm biased 27 ways to Sunday. I think the world of her and always have, but I don't think you had to limit it to African-American women to decide that Ketanji Brown Jackson was the best person for this job. And so I think it's great. Now, if you want to know my personal opinion about having an African-American woman on the Supreme court, I think it's about darn time. So I'm thrilled. How many Republican votes do you think she'll get? I, oh, God, Mike, I have no idea. <laughs> you want me to prognosticate? I don't know. Yeah, I have no you idea. Do on, you, know, you send me text messages with your prognostications all the time. So why, why is Mike, that now? <laughs> Mike, have I been right about any of those? <laughs> well, you've been right about her. So uh, <laughs> you get extra points for that. <laughs> Wait a minute. In fairness, I'm going to out you here, Mike. I also correctly predicted that that Joe Biden would be the president of the United States. Did I not? <laughs> I don't think you were There's alone in that category. Yeah. But, uh, I, I am not going to hazard a prediction on the Senate. I, I hope she is confirmed. I hope everyone sees what I see in her. And I, I yeah. think they will. I think they will. And I thought Lindsey Graham's remarks were kind of interesting today, which he fell back on, you know, radical liberal, whatever, after pushing for the judge from South Carolina. But he also made a point that, I think is going to get discussed a lot, which is, isn't it time we stop the sort of Ivy League, Harvard and Yale train to the Supreme Court? I say this knowing we have a Harvard lad uh, law co-host uh, on the show. Don't mean to no, deprive. No, no, no? no I, did, I went to Columbia. You went to Columbia. I went to Harvard. Columbia undergrad. Law, Harvard College. Right. Well, okay. wait, wait a minute. Let me jump in. Uh, yeah. As a proud, proud graduate of public universities, 
the University yeah. of Michigan and the University of Florida Law School. I'd be delighted for somebody to put a University of Florida Law School graduate on the Supreme Court. So if anybody wants to nominate me, I'll, I'll accept. <laughs> okay. But I mean, the sort of larger point here is, I mean, there was, that's the, that was Clyburn's point for Judge Childs, right? That, you know, it's time we had somebody other than um, one of the elite law school graduates on the Supreme Court to give a you know, broader feel. That's extending the, the diversity on the Supreme Court. I think there's some, some validity to that argument. I think any of the folks who were talked about as, as shortlisters would have been fabulous. Uh, I, I'm not anti anybody. I'm, I'm pro Katanji. <laughs> and I think the kind of diversity that she brings is a professional diversity. I mean, if you look at her resume, it is remarkable how many different angles from which she has had the chance to view the justice system. I mean, she wasn't just a public defender, although she certainly was. And that's, uh, I think, will hopefully bring a refreshing uh, new perspective to the court that it hasn't had in a while or maybe ever since Thurgood Marshall. But she was also, as you say, in the sentencing commission. Uh, so she was looking at the, the policymaking parts of criminal law. She was a private lawyer for fancy, very highly respected elite corporate law firms. She worked for, as you folks know, the Ken Feinberg uh, firm that has a lot of mediation of mass tort matters. She's seen a lot of different perspectives of the court. And now as a trial judge, an appeals court judge, and uh, God willing, a Supreme Court judge, she's seen it from every level. And from a personal angle, you see she's has the law enforcement element in her family, which is very deep in her family. But she also has a, a, you know, a family member who had run-ins with the law. So she's really seen this from so many different angles and so many different perspectives. And I think you know, that's a level of diversity that I've never heard of on the Supreme Court. So I know we have to wind down here, but I, I do need to ask you this. When did you learn that she uh, is related by marriage to former House Speaker Paul Ryan? And how surprised were you? <laughs> you know, uh, I don't remember when I learned. I knew her brother-in-law, William, because he and I actually clerked on the same court, the First Circuit Court of Appeals. Actually, I guess the same year Katanji was clerking on the First Circuit. And I, uh, some people know, William is the identical twin brother of Katanji's husband, Patrick. And so I showed up for my first day of work and all the judges were interviewing the other, uh, introducing all the law clerks from the other chambers. And I saw who I thought was Patrick, who I knew as Katanji's husband. And I was totally perplexed. And I thought, boy, I thought Patrick was a surgeon. What is he? He's in law school too. And oh my God, this guy's amazing. Turns out it was his identical twin brother who didn't recognize me at all. Uh, but um, I, I didn't know about the family connection to Paul Ryan until many, many years later. And when I heard about it, I thought, okay, that, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Katanji by her nature is not an ideological person. I'm sure she has friends on both ends of the political aisle or the spectrum. And, uh, you know, in all the years I've known her, we don't talk about politics. We talk about what friends talk about. We talk about how's your family? How are your kids? You know, what are you watching on TV? That kind of stuff. That's what friends do. And I should uh, point out that uh, Paul Ryan today, after Biden made the announcement, said of uh, Judge Jackson, quote, our politics may differ, but my praise for Katanji's intellect, for her character and for her integrity is unequivocal. So it sounds like at least on that score, he agrees with you. Richard, I want to thank you for your insights into the woman who, you know, from all looks of things is going to be our next Supreme Court justice. Thanks for joining us. 
Thank you. It was a great pleasure for me. Thanks, guys. Thank you.